0: I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Haggai, chapter one. We're concluding the first of the, the the messages here of Haggai. It's taken us three weeks to do so to get through this first chapter, as we've set the scene for where we are in the story of what God is doing. The people of God are returning to the land. They've been given the command and even the resources to rebuild God's temple the place of God's presence, the place where they bring sacrifice for forgiveness. And yet it's a time of uncertainty and chaos. Yet here in the book of Haggai, we have the hope of salvation offered to us through the presence and the promise of God. And here we have the core message, the message that we just sang as a prayer that Jesus would be with us. We have that promise here. So we've seen the the command given to the people that they must rebuild the house. We've seen their sin exposed in their selfishness and desire for their own comfort. And now we have the response, which includes within it the great promise of God, I am with you. This is the word of God, Haggai chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Haggai 1 verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius. Let me pray that God would apply His word to our lives, Father. We thank you for the clarity of Your word, and I pray that, that we would understand today the great power of what you speak to us. That we would rejoice in hearing from you, that we would submit ourselves in obedience to your word, and that we would walk out with the comfort and assurance that comes with your promise. Lord, we pray for your spirit to work, for the power of your word to accomplish its purposes. We pray in the name of Jesus, our savior, amen. Sometimes the most powerful statements are the simplest statements. When we need a word of encouragement and someone comes alongside and says you can do this. When we need to be reminded of our value and dignity and someone looks us in the eye and says I am proud of you. When we want assurance of that relational commitment and someone speaks those words we long to hear I love you. When we need words of restoration And someone says, I forgive you. Sometimes it's the simplest statements that carry the most power. And you heard it in the scripture reading. The simple statement that God makes, when Haggai brings the word to them, look again at verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. A simple but a profound theological statement. A, a, a short sermon but a, but a meaningful statement of God's commitment to us, his people. To all who have come to him by faith. To all who, who aspire to live in new gospel obedience after him. I Am with you declares the Lord. This is the truth that you and I need to hear today. When we feel like we are lost and alone, we have the promise of God that we are never abandoned. I am with you. When we feel discouraged and we doubt our abilities, we have God standing at our side saying, "I am with you." When we feel like our lives are rudderless or pointless, we have God standing and giving us his purposes. He stands beside us and says, I am with you. Because here in this, we have a great promise of purpose given to us. The people are responding to the word that's given to them. We see in back in verse 12, the same characters reintroduced to us, the Zerubbabel, who is the great, 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 great grandson of David, the king of Israel, the one to whom the throne rightfully belongs, the grandson of the last king before the exile. We have Joshua, who is the high priest, the one who should be there to enter the temple, to on the the day of atonement enter the holy place to bring sacrifice, and then we have the remnant of the people introduced to us again. It's the leaders of God's people, the the spiritual, moral, religious leaders, along with the, the whole remnant of the people that are there. And what do they do? Verse 12 tells us they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. The people obey. They respond to the command. You, you heard last week as Mike opened God's word for us that, that the sin of God's people is exposed and now they respond. They obey. They repent, they turn from their sinful ways, and they turn back to God in gospel hope. In the hope that God is the God who forgives their sin. And at the end of verse 12, we read the phrase, And the people feared the Lord. They are in awe, they have terror at the great power and might of God. And, and sometimes in, in the scriptures, the, word that's, the words that are translated to us as fear are, are more in the, the sort of joyful obedience and reverence, a, a sense of awe at God's greatness and power. But the words here are words that are much more terrifying. They're, they're words that would describe the reaction you'd have to, to, to a frightening situation. The people fear the Lord. And that, that means that they have seen their own sin that they recognize that they stand under the judgment of God, that they hear that that he is the Lord Almighty, the Lord with all power and authority. And they see themselves exposed before them as those without hope, except in his forgiveness. And yet, this kind of response is one that that seems so old-fashioned, so outdated to us. We don't even like the, the description of a God who is a God that you would say you would fear him. We want a God who can be loved. We want a God who will come alongside us as a a buddy, uh, to offer a word of encouragement. And so so when the scriptures say that the people feared the Lord, because God is a God of wrath, of righteous judgment, we kind of step back and say, ah, you know, let's, Kevin, could we flip a few more pages and get to the part where he's kind of nicer? Because I want a nice God. I don't want an angry God. See, and yet, that that betrays a misunderstanding of of who God is. To want a God of love without him being a God of justice means that you're willing to just let whatever has gone wrong in this world continue to run amok. You're willing to say, anyone who has ever done anything wrong to me or against me, well, that's just the way the world works. God's the God who just comes alongside and he just loves everybody. He never exposes our sin or confronts us. And, and see, when we, when we fear the Lord, when we have a terror before his great wrath and power, it's a recognition of our place as sinners. That We have to, we have to come to God as he really is, not as we would like him to be. But don't you see, the way he really is is, is, is what we actually need him to be. The God who's just the buddy who shows up with a word of encouragement is, is just as helpless as we are in the face of injustice in the face of sin, but yet that's not the, the God who shows up here. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the one who is rightly feared by sinners, but yet he is, yes, also the God of great love and purpose. See, in their fear, they, they understand their own sin. And so what are they doing? They are repenting. They are turning away from their sin and turning back toward God. They had disobeyed, and now seeing what God has done, they decide, given what God has done, they will now choose to obey, to follow him. And so they fear him because of his great power and majesty. We, we see here then the promise of their purpose, that they are given the, the purpose of turning toward God, of following God, of obeying God. And yet in, in Haggai's message, we also have the promise of God's presence, They're given new purpose, but they also have the promise of God's presence. See, actually, the the sermon could have ended before this. Haggai came, and he he brought a word of judgment to them. And the people respond. They hear the judgment, and they see their sin, and so they turn from their sin back to God. And so the sermon could just end there. And yet God, in his graciousness, what does he do? He, He offers them, in the midst of their repentance, the promise of his presence. This phrase, I am with you, will be repeated in the the next chapter. It's here at the center of Haggai's message. God coming to his people and saying, I am with you. And so the people hearing the promise of God's presence are encouraged by God's word. And, And even the way that they're described should be an encouragement to us. How are the people described? They are a remnant. Meaning there are some people still left who follow after God? Now that that actually is a, a reminder of God's promise to His people, that the exile itself, that, that the the taking of the people from the land at the ju- because of their sin, the direct judgment of God. God throughout the the times of the prophets kept reminding them, but I will keep for myself a remnant. It might just be a few. It it, it doesn't look like much, but God is is telling us that He is keeping His promise his promise doesn't fail and so when you read through the the prophets you, you you flip through the the pages of Isaiah and you see God keep saying but I will preserve for myself a remnant the judgment yes will be severe but the promises will stand and and and, and again look with me at how God is introduced to us we we've seen that, that when he, when his name comes to us in all capital letters that's his 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 name that he has announced he, he is Yahweh But but notice here in verse 12 how he's introduced to us. That the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the people feared the Lord. It's repeated for us, the language that, that God is their God. Not merely that he is a God, but he is a God in relationship with them. It's repeated for us in verse 14 so that we don't miss the power of it. They, they began the work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. I mean, don't you see, even as God comes as a God of judgment, he comes in relationship. He comes with the promise that he is their God. And there in verse 13, we have this profound sermon in, in just a handful of words Haggai brings a message of comfort and assurance. He brings with these words a message of hope to a people in despair. Verse 13, Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. There is for us in that a great promise of hope. That God is with us. This is the core promise of the the prophet Haggai the central message of the book, the, the words that we are meant to, to hear echo again and again, I am with you. God is promising his merciful and guiding presence. And, and this is, these are words that, that for those that hear them here would remind them of the great legacy of assurance that they have had. Because these are the words God has used repeatedly in Scripture to remind his people of his presence, to, to assure his people that he is with them to embolden his people as they move forward in times of uncertainty. We could turn to the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, when God is calling Moses to lead his people. When God will lead in Exodus in rescuing his people. And Moses, Moses is unsure, he doesn't believe that this is even possible. And so what does God say to him? In Exodus 3 verse 12, God says, I will be with you. It's the promise of God's power and presence in the life of Moses. In the book of Judges, in the next series of of, of history, Gideon stands to, to go into battle. And what does he get? He gets the appearance of the angel of the Lord, who gives him this great promise. The Lord is with you. In a time in which he needs God's power, he has the promise I am with you. We, we've looked already at 2 Samuel 7 in this series here in Haggai. The promise that the God is the God of David, that there's a kingdom that will last forever, that God will keep his word. But when David first thinks about building a temple for the Lord, God sends to him the prophet. And the prophet gives him the, the promise that, that he should work on behalf of the Lord. Why? For the Lord is with you. This great legacy of faith continues. It's it's echoed in the prophets. The prophet Jeremiah will say, uh, even as he's being called, God speaks to him and says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. See, these words, this sermon is so simple. I am with you, and yet it is so profound. Because it's a promise of the Almighty God to be with his people to give them his presence and purpose. And you see how these these statements here in the Old Testament are arrows pointing us to that great truth that comes with the arrival of Christ. In the very first chapter of the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, we have the promise that comes from the prophet Isaiah that Jesus is to be given the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Why? Because what does Emmanuel mean? Well, Matthew doesn't presume that you and I know our Hebrew well enough to understand it, so we make sure to translate it for us. In Matthew chapter 1, we read that the God is sending his son, Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. See, God has been repeating the promise to his people so that the arrival of Jesus, they hear it in its fullness. Not merely a word spoken through a human prophet, but the word spoken by God himself. God in the flesh, Jesus here, to prove to us the promise of God. I am with you. See, and this is the hope that we need. Because how can we turn in obedience to God only after we have seen what God has done for us? How can we strengthen to serve God? It's when we see the great depth of God's love for us that we can respond in love. And so we come in gospel hope to the God who offers us these words, I am with you. But you notice, even though there's an emphasis in this passage on the response of the people, that they hear the word of God, they obey the word of God, they fear God, the emphasis is on the work of God. Because we have here the promise of power. They are quickened by the word of God. They are transformed. They are stirred up. Look at verse 14, after hearing the promise through the prophet Haggai, I am with you declares the Lord Of verse 13, we read in verse 14, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. See the people responded. But it was God who gets the credit. Throughout this passage, it's clear, God is the one who speaks. God is the one who acts. God is the one who initiates. God is the one who invigorates them. God is the one who actually gets them moving. Because the message of the Bible is not a message of of how you can make yourself right with God. It's not a message of, of how you can sort of pull yourself up, clean yourself off, and get yourself going. No, the message of the Bible is the message that you cannot do any of those things your sin is so great that you are left in terror before God, horrified at the depth of your own sin, and yet what does God do? He comes to you. He lifts you up. He cleans you off and forgives you. And so in these words, I am with you, we have the great promise that God is the one who does all of the work. And unless and, and we miss it, Haggai makes clear, oh yeah, even their response, that was only because God got them moving. The Spirit of God is the one who moved their spirits to actually obey. God is the one who gets all of the glory and all of the credit because the promise here is a promise of power. Power that comes from God, power that gives glory to God. See, God's word did not return to him empty, but accomplishes its purposes. And so are you listening? I mean, not merely listening to me as a spokesman, Are you listening to the word of God? Because this message comes to us today not so that we can just sort of make ourselves feel comfortable and get on with our lives as they had been. No, the word of God confronts us so that our lives will be different than they have been. That our lives will be as they actually should be. See, sometimes we want a God who just loves us as we are and leaves us as we are. And yet what does God say? I am with you. And so, yes, God loves us as we are. He loves us even in the midst of our sin, even when we cower in fear, even when our sin lays exposed. And how do we know that? Because he says, I am with you. He sent his son to die in our place, but God doesn't leave us where we are. Then the spirit of God motivates us, energizes us, moves us to get moving in our lives. And maybe for you, it's, it's something internal. It's, it's an attitude of yours that needs to be changed. It's a motivation of yours that, that needs to be reoriented. It's the, it's the way in which you're responding to life. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's bigger. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's how you've treated other people that needs to change. Maybe it's in the, in the boldness you need to speak gospel truth. Maybe it's in, in the way that God wants to push you forward to be one who will announce gospel hope to the world, one who will be one who, who brings change to the lives of people. And yet in our sin, what do we need to hear? The great promise of God, I... Am with you. In our brokenness, what do we need? The assurance that God has not abandoned us. A God who speaks to us these words, I am with you. What do we need when we're tempted toward hopelessness? We need the great promise of God. The God who says, I am with you. See, in that simple phrase is the beauty of Scripture's message. In it are words of love and hope. Contained in it are the message that God loves us, that God cares for us, that God loved us enough to send his son to be Emmanuel. God in our midst. Pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse preached through World War II. And he shared with his congregation a a picture of the King of England that he had seen in a newspaper. Now normally the king is easy to recognize because it's the, the pageantry that attends to, to his, his royal presence. You know who he is because he's the guy with the crown, he's the guy with the robe, he's the guy with all of the power. And yet the picture that was described was a picture during the blitz, during the, the bombings against the city of London. And so the king is there not in royal attire but dressed just for a day of walking through rubble. A day to be with the people who were his subjects. A day in which he doesn't look very much like a king, but maybe that's exactly when he's acting king. And and Barnhouse, he says that, that the picture in the newspaper had to actually use an arrow to point out which of the guys was the king because you couldn't tell who it was. Because the king walked among his people. And Barnhouse, echoing and building to a crescendo, says, thus came Jesus Christ, the king who says, I am with you. The king who comes with the power and authority to bring forgiveness. The one in whom we should cower before his might and power. And yet he's the one who comes and says, I love you. He proves to us the depth of God's love. In our weakness, God says, I am with you. In our sorrow, God says, I am with you. To lift us from sin, God promises, I am with you. To move us into action, God announces, I am with you. The promise is spoken for you. The Lord, your God, declares, I am with you. Let me pray that God would apply his word into our lives. Father in heaven, you know the, the full needs of each one who sits here in your presence. And so, Lord, for those who are discouraged, I pray that they would hear the promise of assurance. For those who feel weakened and broken, I pray that they will find in you the hope of forgiveness. For those that are, that are motivated and emboldened, I pray that they would hear would, would have your promise as they go forward. Lord, work in our hearts and our lives that we may believe what you say, that we may live knowing it's true, the promise that you've given to us. Father in heaven, we come in the name of Jesus, our Savior, Jesus the Lord. Amen.